Do you struggle just with the whole concept of faith? Because I know so many women who do. I was at a wedding, and I would say the godliest woman I knew at that time who lived in Vista. She was just a leader in our church, just an awesome woman. And I was talking to her, and we were discussing faith. And all of a sudden, she leaned over to me, and she said, Cheryl, I need more faith. And I just thought, wow, if she needs more faith, what hope is there for the rest of us? I was in a group of women in Austria, and we were having this dynamic conversation about the Lord. And this woman, who I had known for years, and God had done so many incredible, great things in her life, and her husband was the pastor of the largest church in Europe. She looked at me and she said, I don't have enough faith. I was at a retreat, and the woman up front said, who needs faith? But she didn't say it like, who needs faith? She said, like, who needs faith? You know, there's a difference. You can ask the same question, like Zachariah, like, how can this happen? Or like Mary, like, how can this happen? And there's a difference. And there's a difference between who needs more faith? And who needs more faith? But no matter how the question was asked, if Jesus is passing out faith, I'm going to be first in line. You know, whenever I fly, I keep getting group D, like the last to get on the airplane. You know, I'm the person that they don't have any room for your luggage when you get on. That's, I just flew someplace, group D again, D for deserted, desperate, downright last, you know? Oh, you're sweet, but that's not how you feel when you're the last person on the plane. So, I, you know, but this is this. If Jesus is passing it out, I want to be first in line. I want my faith stronger. And I remember I stood to my feet. And this is what I heard. Maybe you were one of those. Cheryl is standing. Cheryl Broderson is standing. Oh, Cheryl Broderson. Chuck Smith's daughter. She needs faith. Oh. I can hear it. Like I started like something. And I, and I just, it kind of made me mad, I'll be honest. And I thought, you know, WWKD, what would K do? K is my mother. What would my mother do right now? And I thought, you know what? She would storm the stage. And boy, that anointing came on me like the spirit of Elijah. And I went up to that stage and I said, wow, I didn't realize it was with such godly women that you all have enough faith for the circumstances that are facing you. Well, I just want to admit, I need my faith strengthened. I need God to work. And then I was kind of like, and I know you and you need God to work. So you stand up too. I'm not doing this alone. And the next thing I knew, I said, who needs, in fact, let's just do it right now. Who needs stronger faith because they have a prodigal? Will you stand up? Who needs stronger faith? All right. Who needs their faith strengthened because they've got a financial issue? Who needs their faith strengthened because the elections are just awful? (laughs) Who needs their faith strengthened so they can get through their present circumstances? Who needs their faith strengthened, period. Who needs it? Hallelujah. I am so glad I'm with real women right now. Just thank you. We need our faith strengthened, right? And that's what happens. You can be seated now. 
See, a payoff to joyful life is the exercise you get. We need faith to deliver us from our trials. We need the faith that believes God will deliver us from the trials. We need the faith that believes that God will expose the evil and the evil people. We need the faith to believe that God will work out all things for our good. That this thing, God's going to turn it around and make it work out for good. We need faith to believe that Jesus loves me, this I know. We need the faith to believe it. We need faith that God has absolutely forgiven us 100% through Jesus Christ. We are forgiven, even for what you said and thought this morning. We need faith to believe that God is a blessing God and will bless us and does bless us. And we need faith to believe that God will guide us and his guidance is good. Do you struggle with entrusting things to God? Do you struggle with giving God your trial? Uh, My friend Nancy says we have cast in real burdens. We cast it on the Lord and we say, is it a little too heavy for you? Give it back. I'll carry it for a while. And then we're like, oh, it's getting so heavy. You carry it. I give it to God. And then we're like, where are you putting that? What are you doing with that? Just give it back. Give it back. Do you have trouble entrusting difficulties to the Lord, burdens to the Lord, children to the Lord, finances to the Lord, hardships to the Lord, enemies to the Lord? Lord, what are you doing? I would have called down five lightning bolts by this time. Entrusting friends to the Lord. Just this last week, um, My sister-in-law, Michelle, her son committed suicide. And she's at a distance. And you know, I've been entrusting her to Jesus every morning. Entrusting her to Jesus' comfort. Entrusting her to God's grace as well as my mother-in-law. And the two sons he left. Do you have trouble just entrusting friends when they're going through hardships to Jesus? Do you have trouble entrusting needs to Jesus? Do you ask God for his plans? Or do you seek God to give your plans his official approval? Have you ever found yourself doubting God's promises? God's word? God's will? Is it really good? Is it really in my best interest? And God's ways, how he's doing and how he chooses to do things. If you haven't doubted at some point, then your faith has never been tested. Because it's through the testing of our faith that our faith is refined and turned to gold. But if you've never been tested, then you're delusional, or you're dishonest, or you're divine, and you're not divine. Everyone in this room could use a faith lift. Perhaps you struggle with faith because you have a misconception about it. As we said last week, it's not the ability or the supernatural ability to believe against all doubt. It's not even a purity of like, I have no doubts at all. I just fully believe. 
It's not a force that we harness. It's not even a quality that we either possess or don't possess. Faith is the substance of what we believe. It is what we know to be true about God, God's word, God's son, and God's accomplishments through Jesus Christ. Our faith will be as strong as what we know and understand about God. The more we know, the more we understand, the more we will trust and entrust to God. It's just the way it is. The more you know, the more you understand his faithfulness, his goodness, his wonder-working power, the more you'll give to him like, hey, what are you going to do with this one? The less we know God, the less we will trust and interest. If our concept of God is weak, then we will have to constantly fight his battles and defend him. We will have to do his work for him. I remember early on when we lived in Vista, this um, woman wanted to go to the retreat, but she didn't have enough money. And it was getting closer and closer to the day of the retreat. And so I paid her way. And I have to say, she complained the entire time about everything at the retreat. And somebody said, who brought her? And you know, I realized I'd never prayed about it. I just thought, well, if God's not coming through, I'll come through. That had been my mentality. Well, God, I want to make you look good. And she prayed to go and you didn't provide. So I'll provide for her. And it turned out to be the biggest curse. And I learned, look, pray about it and let God provide. And maybe he'll provide through me, but it's only after I ask the Lord. But sometimes we're trying to do God's work for him to make him look good. Like, look, I'm I'm working on your reputation for you. Do you struggle with submitting your cares to him? Are you constantly full of worry? God, what are you doing? Are you going to come through? Anxiety, complaining. Do you try to order God around? Do you know there are those prayers that order God around? I want you to go three doors down. Not on the left, but on the right. I want you to go and knock on that door. I remember my son, Braden, used to do these directed prayers. And we were praying with him one night. And he said, Lord, I pray that my father could be anything he wants to be. But not a thief, Lord. Don't make him a thief. And don't let him be a pirate. But other than that, Lord. You're like, where does he get this? Another time he's praying, you know, Lord. Those men in the pubs are drunk. Speak to them and say, you're drunk with beer. (laughs) Just in case it was something else. But, you know, that's what we do. We direct the Lord when we don't know how great, how grand, how wonderful he is. And if our concept of the Lord is weak, we will always try to order him around and give him a plan We will be disappointed in his ways because he's not following our plans. He's not taking the route we assigned him. He's not listening to the GPS. He's doing it his way and going his way. And what will happen is we will miss the journey. We will miss the scenery. We will miss the joy 
of the ride and we will miss what he's doing. We will try to get our will accomplished by any means and we will not be utilizing the ways and the instruments that he's given us. We will be afraid, distrusting, anxious, jealous, because we'll have to hold on to what is ours. Don't you try to take this from me. This is mine. We will be mean. We will be aggressive, angry, and frustrated. In fact, when I see these attributes in me, I have to go back and say, wow, where's this coming from? Obviously from my heart, but where's the place in my heart that this is coming from? And it comes back to my faith is weak in this area or that area. If we get a healthy understanding of God, of his love, we will tell him everything because he loves us. So we can be absolutely honest with him because he already knew that was in our heart. We will get a healthy understanding of his power and therefore we will acknowledge him in everything. We will say, here's another one for you, God. Here's another thing I can't handle. It's all yours, God. We will get a healthy understanding of his goodness. We will desire him in everything. Oh, I don't want my way. I don't want Cheryl's way. I want God's way. And we will get a healthy understanding of his accomplishments. We will trust him in everything that we give to him. The writer of Hebrews is writing to a people who are weak in faith. And they are in danger because of this weak faith. They have forgotten how great Jesus is. They have forgotten how great his accomplishments are. And they were beginning to overestimate themselves, as is the case when our faith is weak. They were beginning to think that rules, rituals, regulations, sacrifices, and the temple was a means to earn God's favor, people's favor, avoid persecution, and solve their immediate distress. They were in danger of diminishing the person, the prestige, the grace, and the accomplishments of Jesus. Looking to these other things for strength was actually depleting their strength, and they were jeopardizing their welfare, God's blessing, spiritual power, and God's intervention in their lives. So the author is writing to remind them of the superiority of Jesus over everything, over all things, visible and invisible. Again, faith is about what we know to be true concerning Jesus. The more we know and understand Jesus, the greater our faith will be because our faith is rooted in the person of Jesus Christ. We stand or fall in this life by what we know to be true about Jesus. If we believe and build upon his word, who he is, his name, we will be able to endure trials, persevere through trials, entrust trials, survive trials, learn from trials, be blessed because of trials, and our faith will actually grow strong through trials. Who doesn't want mountain-moving, tree-uprooting faith? Faith. 
goes into our heart as the smallest seed. But as we learn more about Jesus, root ourselves in his word, pray, entrusting ourselves and our circumstances and others to Jesus, we receive strength. The power of the Spirit comes in and actually strengthens our faith. And faith will begin to take over our hearts and minds. We will not have to pray. Prayer will become our natural response. We will begin to delight in giving one person after another over to the good purposes of the Lord. We will trust and entrust. We will rest in his peace. And we will see and be partakers in the work of God. The author of Hebrews knows this. And so as he writes this epistle, he does something that no other epistle in God's word does. He launches right into the person of Christ. Did you notice this? There's no address. That's why some people don't know who it's written by. It doesn't say Barnabas, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the Hebrews living worldwide. It doesn't say Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. It doesn't say John, a witness, one who is seen and felt and walked with Jesus, which John does in his epistles. It doesn't say Paul, a bond slave of Jesus Christ. And that's why people wonder, did Paul write it? Why didn't he sign his name? This letter has no name because the author wanted these people to know Jesus. It launches right into the person of Christ. It's the CPR, the Christ promoting resuscitation that these people need e immediately. They need to see the grandeur, greatness, and glory of the Lord immediately. There's no time to talk about who wrote, who said, what the experience was. We've got to get straight to the throne room of Jesus. Here is the remedy. Here is the answer. Here is what is needed for the Hebrews who are weak in faith and everything in their life is in jeopardy. They need to see Jesus. And he starts out right away in verses one and two. God, who at various times and in different ways spoke in the time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Jesus is the message of God. He is the word of God. He is the first word of God in Genesis. And he is the ultimate word of God. And he is the fulfillment of every word of God. All that can be known about God is evidenced in Jesus Christ. Men have misinterpreted God's law, God's will, and God himself. They judge God by their own values of right and wrong. The book of Judges is characterized by civil war, child sacrifice, division, pride, confusion, idolatry, aggressive immorality, and other craziness. And you know why? Because every man did what was right in his own sight. They thought they were pleasing God, but they had the wrong concept of God. They had the law of Moses. They had the tabernacle in Shiloh, but yet they were getting it so wrong because they did not know God, even though he revealed himself 
through Moses, through the law. Then God begins to send prophets to them. But they're still not getting it. There are those who still today say, oh, the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. I used to hear that when I was in high school and when I was in college. Oh, the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament from unbelievers. And I'd say, no, it's the same God. It's just that man cannot interpret God properly or understand him without the revelation of Jesus Christ. As Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty seven, that only the Son knows the Father and those to whom the, Father, the Son reveals the Father too. There is no way to properly understand God without Jesus Christ. Because you will think, oh, he's so severe. Look at those wars. Look at, you know, that message. But Jesus is the ultimate message. He makes God's words understandable. It's the same God, but Jesus alone expresses God perfectly. Jesus is everything God wants to say to mankind. He is the expression of all of God's words, God's thoughts, God's love. He is the invitation of God to mankind. Jesus is also the appointed heir of God by relationship. He deserves all that God is and has and possesses. But he is also the appointed heir. He, has, he is the chosen of God. He's God's favorite person. He alone deserves the glory, the power, and the possessions. But he is also the creator of all things. God used the word to speak all life into existence. And Jesus is that word. He is the agency of God in creation. He is the agency of God will. He accomplishes God's will. We're told that Jesus is the express image of God. Verse three, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, which he had by himself purged our sins, set down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus is the express image of God. This word image is the word, and you're going to recognize this character, character. It's the engraving or the thing produced by the stamp. It's the exact replica of the stamp, the mere image. This is what Jesus is. He is the exact replica of God. He is the brightness of God's glory, the high spot, the radiance, or the glory of his glory. God says, Jesus is the glory of my glory. He is the visible glory of the invisible God. He is what you can see, feel, and hear of God. But God takes glory in Jesus Christ. He's the radiance of God's glory. In Jeremiah 9, 24, God says this, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. This is the understanding that Jesus brings to us of who God is and God glories in Jesus because Jesus displays God's glory. He speaks God's message. This is how people can know God. It's through Jesus. Now, I have to say this. 
I love my children. You know, I have prayed passionately for each one of them, but they are each one a miracle. And I have to say, they're my glory. I like my kids better than I like myself. I cannot believe that God gave me these awesome adults. They are just like amazing. And this is, I I make an idiot of myself every time I'm with my girls. And I have to apologize later. I get giddy. I get giddy like, these are my girls. (laughs) They're cute. I mean, I did that at a When Leaders Lead conference. I made them sit on the front row with me. And then I'm like, (laughs) and they're just like, and Kristen turns to Kelsey and says, and this is why we don't sit next to mom. I'm so proud of my girls that I can't even contain it. I have to like suppress myself because they're like my glory. They're like, my kids are the best thing I've ever done with my life. I just look at them and I'm like, what awesome individuals. And then those individuals, they have created the most amazing little individuals that are in my life. I've got this, my four-year-old granddaughter is like, she's quoting the first part of James. She's four. James, written to the, you know, I don't even know it, so I can't even repeat it. It's just amazing. But, you know, not to be outdone. Her, her seven-year-old brother then has to send a video to grandma that he can do it too. It's like, you are the most amazing creation of the heavenly father, God, the almighty. He invested a lot in you and you are besides everything handsome. But you know what I say to them? You are brilliant. You are brilliant. Why? Because they're bright. They're radiant. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. God gets giddy over Jesus. He says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He tears away the the curtains of the clouds and he says to Peter, this is my beloved son. Hear him. Oh, oh, he is the glory of God. God says, You see that love in Jesus? That's my love. You see that compassion? That's my compassion. You see that righteousness? That's my righteousness. You see that discernment? That's my discernment. You see that wisdom? That's my wisdom. That's my boy. That's my son. Jesus is the sustainer of all things. All of life is held together by Jesus. He has the ultimate holding power. It is Jesus' word that keeps things going again, that he upholds all things by the word of his power. But Jesus alone has purged our sins. There is no other solvent for sin but Jesus. There is no other offer of forgiveness forgiveness that has been given to us except by Jesus. There is no forgiveness in the law. There is no forgiveness in the prophets or the rituals or even the sacrifice. There's only a covering. But Jesus alone can cleanse so thoroughly, purging, that no trace or evidence of past sins can be found. Jesus holds the highest place in heaven. He alone sits at the right hand of God. No one else holds that position. No one else deserves that position. No one else has been invited into or appointed to that position. Jesus alone, the right hand, 
is where the sovereign of old used to place those they wanted to honor and revered. And this ancient of days, the eternal sovereign, has reserved the right hand of his glory for Jesus alone. And there Jesus sits at the right hand of God until everything, the whole plan of God, is accomplished. Until the last man or woman on earth has received Jesus as their Savior. Until the sickle, as we see in Revelation, has come down on earth and the last harvest is made. And then Jesus will get up from that throne and he will come with the angels and the armies of heaven and we will be with him in white robes and we will come down to proclaim him king of the earth. And at that time, that plastic island off the coast of China will be no more. At that time, every bit of pollution, gone. At that time, everything that man has done to harm this earth, Jesus will bring healing to the earth and creation will cast off the garments of their oppression and say, he's here, he's here, he's here. Oh, hallelujah, it's coming. But right now, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, just waiting as the moments tick off. You know what? Sometimes I watch the clock tick off, and I think, oh my goodness, when my appointment finally happens, I'm going to be 15 minutes older. But I think of Jesus. He's ageless. He's gone to heaven, the land of eternal youth, and when he comes back, that's another thing that's going to be restored. When we see Jesus... Talk about a faith lift. We're going to get the full lift of everything. But Jesus also has a more excellent name. Verse 4, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Jesus has the most excellent name. None of the angels ever died for our sins. None of the angels lived the human experience. Not one of the angels could do what Jesus did. The angels are created. They're at the beck and call of Jesus, but they are not equal with Jesus. They worship Jesus. His name is the most excellent name. And, and when you say name, we are talking about the testimony and the accomplishments, the reputation, the character of a person. We're not talking just simply about their nomenclature or what we call them, but about who they are and what they have done. Jesus is superior to angels. He is God and he is man. His name, not Michael, not Gabriel, not Moroni, opens heaven to us and reconciles us to God and brings us forgiveness of sins. He is the only God-man in existence. No other man can lay claim to this. No angel can lay claim to this. He is both God and man forever and ever. Jesus is God who became man and mingled the holy blood with the flesh of men in order to secure men before God forever. Jesus alone is begotten of God, the only man related to God by direct lineage and blood. God associates, identifies, 
and approves and delights in Jesus. This is the Son of God. The angels worship Jesus. They are at his command, as we said. He is the Lord of heaven's armies. Jesus commands and oversees the armies of heaven. They wait for his instructions. They adore Jesus. They herald his coming, as they did to Daniel, to Joseph, to Mary, and the shepherds. They wait to minister to him as they waited after his encounter and the temptation in the wilderness with Satan. They met him in the garden. They waited for an order to deliver him from his persecutors. Angels do not have the power, prestige, authority, anointing of gladness, the divinity, or the eternality of Jesus. In fact, they live for the purposes of Jesus. He sends them forth. He tells them where to go and what to do. And he uses them to minister to all those who have received salvation. Jesus has the greatest name of all. His work is the only work that can save mankind. His testimony is the only testimony that can bring life. And his word is the eternal word that upholds and sustains all things. His story is the greatest story. His name, his accomplishments, the greatest life-imparting, sin-forgiving, death-defying victories of all time and all eternity. It is only as we consider Jesus for all he is, who he is, the authority that he holds, that we will be strengthened in our faith. He is the remedy for everything in life. When you feel weak in faith, when you feel yourself growing anxious, overwhelmed, angry, frustrated, or scared, it's time to get some CPR. Christ promoting resuscitation. It's time to look at Jesus for who he really is. To ask God, let me see Jesus. Let me understand Jesus, the one who is for me, the one who himself purged our sins, the one who sits at the right hand of the Father, making intercession, praying for me. I need a glimpse of Jesus. Remember how scared the disciples were on that boat as they were crossing the Galilee? The storm had come. They were sure they were going to die. They woke up Jesus and said, don't you care that we're perishing? Until they realized that even the wind and the waves obey him. Remember how they were worried about how the multitudes were going to be fed? And they were saying, send them away, send them away. Until Jesus took that little lunch, those five loaves and two fish, and began to thank the Lord and bless them and break them apart. And he was able to feed over 5,000 with leftovers. Remember how sorrowful they were at Lazarus' death? Until Jesus said, take me to the place where Lazarus is and said, roll away the stone and commanded Lazarus, come forth. Death-defying Jesus. This is our Jesus. And we need to see him. This is what our weak faith needs. Just like the Hebrews needed, we need this infusion and this true vision and understanding of how great Jesus is. 
when you are thrust into difficulty that seems to overwhelm you, that storm or that deficit or that death, what you need is Jesus to see Jesus, to have Jesus come in and intervene and interfere and intrude on your consciousness and your situation. And as he does, as he works, as we watch him work, as we see him, our faith will be strengthened. And as our faith is strengthened, guess what? The mountains will move. The trees will be uprooted. And we will be partakers of the great things that our God God does and is doing. Let's pray. Lord, we all want faith. We all want strong faith. Oh God, we want to entrust like we've never entrusted. We want to see you work. We want to see miracles. We want to see the mountains move and the earth shake and tremble. We want to see you move. And so, Lord, we need those eyes of faith, but first we must see Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would break through our consciousness with a true vision of Jesus, that we might see the greatness, the goodness, the grandeur, and the glory of Jesus, that that might fill our consciousness more than the elections, more than the problems around us, more than our cell phones, more than Twitters and Instagram and Facebook and the lesser things the problems of this world. Oh, Lord, may Jesus increase in our vision and everything else decrease that we might have that strong faith that says, my God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. We ask this in Jesus' name.